0: All right, Thanksgiving, that's where we are. Thanksgiving is not just a week for you to eat good food, to stop going to class, um, to, no, no, that's been happening, right? It's more than just enjoying a Black Friday gadget deal when you're there at midnight. Thanksgiving is a good season for us, and we must not forget it. But in college life, I get it. In the schedule of your life, Thanksgiving is hard to recognize. Because especially this year, finals are next week, right? Um, Grades are not where you hope them to be. Group projects are still ongoing, right? And those papers that you were going to do in early November still haven't been written. (laughs) And... It's all got to happen, and then they're studying on studying on studying. Like Red Bulls at 1.30 a.m., studying, right? Like two coffee shops in one day, studying. It is where we are right now, but we must not lose sight of thanksgiving. Paul says to the Thessalonians, give thanks in all circumstances. The psalmist says in 118, give thanks to the Lord for he is good. His love endures forever. And when we take a moment of thankfulness, we are seeing and acknowledging how our God has blessed us and shown us favor more abundantly than we deserve or can imagine. And if we fail to be thankful then we have a spiritual arrogance saying we deserve this, we earned it, or we made it. And so this week, I am going to encourage you to take a moment, multiple moments, days to give thanks. Because as we give thanks, we position ourselves and we change and correct our perspective to understanding who God is and how He relates to us. So this morning, our text is Luke 17. If you have your Bibles, I encourage you to turn there. It will be on the screens. Luke 17, we're going to start in verse 11. Jesus knows his mission, and he is on a mission to Jerusalem. And it says this, starting in verse 11. On the way to Jerusalem, he was passing along between Samaria and Galilee. And as he entered a village, he was met by ten lepers who stood at a distance. "...and lifted up their voices, saying, "'Jesus, Master, have mercy on us.' "'And when he saw them, he said, "'Go and show yourself to the priest.' "'And as they were cleansed, then one of them, "'when he saw that he was healed, he turned back, "'praising God with a loud voice, "'and he fell at the feet of Jesus, and giving thanks. "'Now he was a Samaritan. "'Then Jesus answered, "'Were not ten cleansed, and where are the nine? Was no one found to return and give praise to God except this foreigner? <laughs> and he said to him, Rise and go on your way. Your faith has made you well. Let me pray. Dear Lord, teach us from the thankfulness of this leper and correct us from the ungratefulness of the other nine. But we are here to hear your voice. So speak. It's in your name that we pray. Amen. Jesus, as I said, is on a mission. Luke 9:53 says that after Jesus has been kicked out of a Samaritan village, he then sets his face towards Jerusalem. He has his mission, and he is on track. He is going to <laughs> Jerusalem, and he knows what awaits him. He's going to warn the disciples that there's going to be division and pain, persecution and death. He knows that he's going to be rejected, convicted, abandoned and hated. And yet, every single day, he is living out that mission with his face steadily set on Jerusalem. And this brings me to my first point of thankfulness. Then those ten lepers show up along the route. And I am thankful for a Savior who does not view me as a distraction. These ten lepers call out, they're crying out, and yet he prioritizes them instead of ignores them. He has a mission, he has a goal, he is focused on that, and yet people are not distractions or interruptions to his life. These ten lepers, what is a leper? Leprosy is both a severe and um, specific disease, and it's also a catch-all term for anything of any skin disease. So here, these people could have boils on their skin, open flesh, big patches of dry skin that seems to be rotting. They could have a litany of things going wrong with them. And leprosy is a serious condition. Dating back to Leviticus 13, leprosy was given rules that if someone contracted leprosy, they were sent out of the camp. Because of the contagious nature of it, they feared that if they lived among the people, then everybody would come down with this. And so they were sent out... And quarantined and isolated. It says in Leviticus 13:45, the leprous person who has a disease shall wear torn clothes and let his hair hang loose. He shall cover his upper lip and cry out all the day, unclean, unclean. He shall remain unclean as long as he has the disease. His, he is unclean. He shall live alone. His dwelling is outside the camp. The only way you are allowed back in to community, to relationship, to your family, is for the priest to declare you that the disease is gone. And until that day, you are remaining out, separated. And yet, Jesus, on his mission, stops for those banned from society. He stops for the outcast. He stops for the outsider. He stops for the least and the last, the lost and the lonely. Jesus doesn't view them as a distraction. They are his mission. On his journey to Jerusalem, this is what he is here for. He, they are the sick who he is called to make well. They are the captives who he is called to set free. This is his mission, and so he does not pull away. And this brings me to the second point. I am thankful for a Savior who is not put off by my condition. See, everyone else in society is staying away from these people. They are the untouchables. They are to be kept away. They have to say all the time, unclean, unclean, so that we don't accidentally get in their proximity. And yet Jesus sees their condition and he cares for them. They are not a lost hope. They are not too far gone. They are not too sick that he cannot heal And yet, how often in our lives do we either view our issues as either too small, too minuscule to even pray about or for Jesus to worry about, or our condition is so terminal, so awful, so terrible that my sin is too large, my debt is too much, my choices are too awful, that Jesus does not care or cannot do anything about it. But I learned this week, and this makes it even more powerful for me, That leprosy was often, in that day and age, thought to be the disease given to a sinner as a punishment. That they caused this to happen to them. And yet Jesus is not put off by their condition. He doesn't say, well, you should have been better, you should have done more, you should have been holy. No, he says, I hear you. I'm going to make a difference. That brings me to my third point. I am thankful for a Savior who hears my cries. Last year we studied the book of Exodus. Exodus chapter 3. God hears the cries of his people. They make their way to heaven. And then Jesus here with the lepers. He enacts his fully God and fully man side as he displays a characteristic of God. He hears the hurting of his people and he acts. Notice the plea of the lepers. Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. Most people in that day would call him Rabbi or Raboni in the Greek, and yet they call him Master. They see him as more, a fuller understanding than what most people see Jesus as. He is more than just your average Rabbi walking the street. He can do something divine, something supernatural. And they cry out, have mercy on us. All day long, they've been spending their time asking for money, for food, for drink. And yet, they up their offer or their ask when Jesus shows up. Have mercy on us is act how God would act towards us. Show the mercy that only God can show to me. Now, do something divine to the average joe give me money to jesus the messiah their master heal me jesus hears the cries of the outcast and the he doesn't ignore it or move on he's not too good to be associated with them he hears and responds see really in the bible there's no concept of hearing and not responding if only that was the same way in the church we hear a lot on Sunday, and we do very little on Monday. Jesus hears and responds. May that same be said of us. Point four, I'm thankful for a Savior who doesn't view me as a distraction, who's not put off by my condition, who hears my cries and forth. I'm thankful for a Savior who pours out blessings. When he saw them, verse 14, he said to them, Go, show yourselves to the priest." And as they went, they were cleansed. It's interesting how the healing takes place, right? They, Jesus says, go. And as they went, they were healed. So while they were standing there with their torn clothes and their long hair, it, they say, he said we're going to be healed. And yet the boils and the scabs are still there. The same spots, the same marks, the same problems. And the practical leper in my mind says, well, I hope all of them go because we are just going to be told, no, we're not clean. And I can maybe get a few extra charity while they're gone because there's less to share. But what do we see? We don't see people who doubt. We see people who believe. And as they went, they are healed. See, faith allows us to receive some blessings. I'm not getting into health and wealth type stuff but faith allows us to experience blessings of God because faith takes us into places where we have to rely on God it's stepping out of the boat it's going and selling everything it's seeing Jesus and then running back to our town and telling everyone I have met the Messiah come and see him. blessings are realized when faith is taken Because really, how many blessings are needed when we're on the sidelines? We're pretty self-sufficient, as we talked about last week, right? I can take care and meet just about all of my needs. And yet, when I respond in faith, I begin to need God to show up or else it ain't going to happen. I can't end this toxic relationship. I can't choose community because I've been hurt so many times. I'm not willing to surrender my life to trust his presence on my own. I have to have his faith to fill me up. We get to experience these blessings of him with his presence and him caring for us when we step into those difficult seasons. When we do things that don't make sense unless Jesus exists. But here's how we operate. We need to see the end before we're willing to risk the middle. How many of us could be healed of a past that is robbing us of our present and our future if we actually took a step of faith in believing that Jesus can clean us? How many of us have addictions that are wrecking our days that we're not willing in faith to give up? Or fears that paralyze us or desires that distract us? How many of us could be healed but we're not willing to take a step Because we want proof of the end before we're willing to risk the middle. We don't want to live by faith. We need sight. We need data, proof, clarity, assurance, confirmation. We need all the answers or we're not moving. As they went, they were healed. All right, let me finish with let us looking at that thankful leper and learn from him to wrap up. Verse 15, then one of them, when he saw that he was healed, he turned back, praising God with a loud voice, and he fell on his face at Jesus' feet, giving him thanks. Now he was a Samaritan. First of all, this is the last one they would expect to turn around. Most commentators assume that in the group of ten, it was nine Jews and one Samaritan. Luke is setting us up, just like he always does. Go back to Luke chapter 10. Who is it that helps the guy beaten and broken on the side of the road? It's not the priest. It's not the Levi. It is the Samaritan. Who is it that models the kingdom of God? It is the Samaritan. Who is it that Jesus says, nowhere in all of Israel have I seen this much faith? It is the Samaritan. And Jesus here confirms that the Samaritan sees what everybody else is missing. The last one the disciples think would show back up is the one who is getting a head start on what Paul says when in Philippians 2, where every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Jesus asked him, We're not ten cleansed. Where are the other nine? Was no one found to return and give praise to God except this foreigner? See, all of them should have realized. All of them should have recognized. All of them should have turned back and said, I'll get to the priest later. I've got to go and worship the one who saved me. And that brings us to my final point this morning. Don't settle for the temporal. Verse 19, and he said, rise and go on your way. Your faith has made you well. Some of you will have footnotes at the bottom. And you can retranslate your faith has made you well into your faith has saved you. The Samaritan didn't settle for physical change, but received spiritual conversion. I want to illustrate it this way. Little Cooper, all right, two-and-a-half-year-old Cooper, all right? He has a very small library of foods and drinks that he's ever experienced, okay? So he's only ever really had water and milk. One time he sneaked a sip of Topo Chico, and it just, like, went out immediately, all right? It's an acquired taste. He's just not luxury like we are, all right? Uh, He also has had a small taste of different foods. And as good parents, we try to give him things that are good for him, all right? So he thinks cookies are Belvedere biscuits, all right? Like, you go on the airplane, like, those are cookies for him. And so he's so excited to have a cookie, um, we, we let him have mac and cheese. He loves bread and all that sort of stuff. But like he, I force him to try things that I don't eat, you know, cause I'm a good parent. All right. <laughs> and then I've realized that I have learned a parenting hack and this is it. So write this down, keep it track. All right. Um, when he gets interested in the things I'm eating, right. He's, he's always interested in that. And so I give him the parts of the things I'm eating. I don't like so he gets the crust of the bread, the edge of the brownies, he gets the purple Welch's gummy when the strawberries are the best, right? Like, he always gets, and he's super excited. He loves it, because he's sharing with me, he's getting some of my food, and then I'm happy, because all is eaten, and everybody's happy. So it's, it's a win-win, it's a parenting, like, hack, all right? But one day, one day, Cooper's going to grow up and realize. He's going to realize that the middle of the sandwich where the sun butter is is actually the good part, not the crust. He's going to realize that Oreos are better than Belvedas. And that mom buying the whole wheat crackers, like, there's good ones out there, all right? One day, he's going to realize that there is better. One day, he's not going to be so easily satisfied. The nine lepers were easily satisfied. Content and happy with physical healing. Joyous over the temporal when the eternal was on the menu. They were content. They were easily satisfied. Students, Sabisa's version of barbecue is not the best. All right? (laughs) Copperheads, no matter how much <laughs> Samuel Stanley loves that place, Chipotle exists, man. Chipotle is not better. I don't know. Okay.
1: Agree to disagree.
0: Are you content with good enough when amazing is an option? How many of you are content with a job instead of the job that pairs your passions and purpose but requires space? How many of you are content with he's a good guy and says he's a Christian when the man that will love you as Christ loved the church exists? How many of you are content to settle and to leave happy instead of turning back and saying, Jesus, my Savior? How many of us are content and we settle for the crust of the sandwich, or the edge of the brownies, or the orange starburst when pink is out there, guys. Maybe I'll disagree. I think that's a that is an objective truth right there. We can't settle, and we must be thankful. So this morning, I'm thankful for you guys. Oh. <laughs> I'm thankful for students who love Jesus and surrender their life to Him, who do the scary thing of going and talking to people about Him at lunches, who spend their lunchtime serving coffee and Capri Suns, who show up in neighborhoods that they don't live in to love on students. I'm thankful for the adults in this room. One, because they have poured into and cared for Carlin and I in this transition that now we feel home because they exist. I'm thankful that they are here to pour out into your lives. I am thankful for a church that does the illogical. You are not a great return on investment for us, all right? If you tithe, you're not tithing much, all right? But we know that it is worthwhile for us to pour out monies and time into your life for fruit we may never get to experience but because the kingdom of God, of God exists and you're going to make a difference in it I am thankful for these things I am thankful for a savior who doesn't see me as a distraction who's not put off by my condition who hears my cries and pours out his blessings and finally and most importantly I'm thankful for the one who saves me from my sin and saves me for a relationship with him I'm thankful that he opens the door. I'm thankful that he loves me as I am, not as I should be. So this week, will you be thankful? Yeah, finals are going to be there in what? Four, uh, Twelve days? Nine days? Well, who knows? I'm not a math person. Uh, why did you say that? Alabama. uh I I hope in this season that you will stop and be thankful because it corrects our priorities and our mindset towards our God. I pray and I hope that you don't settle. Don't settle. In jobs, and relationships, just because they're close doesn't mean they need to be your best friends. I hope that you don't settle with dating. I hope you don't settle with careers. I hope that you, in faith, start walking and then see the healing. Let me pray. Jesus, your word speaks truth. Your example is good. Lord, help us not settle for the temple but turn back and to focus on the eternal. Lord, we love you. We don't deserve to be loved by you. Lord, remind us every day this week of how good you are and how great you are for us and that you have a plan bigger and bolder than we can even fathom in this moment. So, Lord, we're going to start walking. And we're ready to see your blessings pour out. It's in your name that we pray. Amen.